I'm Danica Juarez. And I'm Jan James. And this is How's It Hold Up? Hi, I'm Danica. And I'm Jan. And I'm Valerie. And today we watched Mary and the Witch's Flower, a 2017 film by Studio Panak. Who would like to give a brief spoiler-free plot synopsis of this movie? Oh, I'll give it a shake. Um, This movie is about Mary Smith, Mary Smith, who moves in with her great aunt Charlotte to attend a school in the area. I think that's why she moves there. But in the in the week before that, she's, you know, kind of exploring the area, meeting people. She meets um, a, a kid around her age named Peter um, in not the most graceful of ways. He's kind of poking fun at her. So they they start off with a little bit of a um, antagonistic. antagonistic relationship. And she also uh, meets some a cat, Tib, um, and another cat, Gib, um, and is exploring the woods. And long story short, on a, a misty day where she shouldn't be going into the woods, she does. And she discovers a broomstick that ends up taking her to this fantastic magical school uh, where she meets Madame Mumblechook and Dr. D., um, and is is potentially going to become a student, um, but things kind of take a turn, and and there ends up being a lot of stuff that happens. It's kind of <laughs> she kind of she has a lot of adventures. We we get t- we get like a, a tease of like how the school operates, but I just want to tell you straight up that this is not a, a story about a girl going to a school and having a magical adventure within the school system. It's not that. She has a magical adventure, but it's not really in a school setting. She does get to see and go to some stuff in the school, but it's it's not like a Hogwarts story, anything like that. She accidentally takes some things she shouldn't, and she uh, accidentally kind of puts a a target on the back of a kid that she just barely met and (laughs) causes problems and has to solve some of those problems. What did we think of this movie? I loved it. I just straight up absolutely loved it. I knew you would. (laughs) great i was like this this movie is gonna be right up mom's alley it was awesome (laughs) i loved it loved it yeah i mean it's enjoyable this is the second time uh, i've seen it Mm -hmm. first time was uh on an airplane ride uh so being able to see it on a bigger screen in a more comfortable setting was nice yeah (laughs) and being able to like hear it more fully i was able to appreciate the soundtrack i think more this time than when we watched it on the plane yeah Um, because you know we had headphones or whatever but it's still like kind of a loud environment. It's a different experience for sure. Yeah, yeah. We watched it on the plane uh, going to Japan. I cannot for the life of me remember if it was in English or Japanese though that we originally watched it. Um, I can't either. Yeah, I, I cannot remember. This time we watched it in Japanese with English subtitles. Cannot remember how we saw it the first time. It was a couple of years ago. But yeah, no, this is a really cute movie. Um, I, I enjoy it. It's not like one of my all-time favorites, but it's a really... I think it's, it's, I could see this being someone's comfort movie. Like it feels, despite some of the peril that people are in, it ultimately, it it still overall kind of feels comfy in a way to me. Um, I can see that. Yeah. uh, It's, it's a cute, it's a cute film. Um, Definitely recommend it. And you know, it's amazing how comfortable I am. My preference now is 
is watching something in Japanese or in the native language with subtitles. Yeah. I just, yeah, I just, you've gotten me really used to You're that. Welcome. And I do, I love it. Because, and especially because then I don't have the distraction of seeing lips not in sync and all of that. And yeah. yeah, I just, I really enjoy it. Let's get specific. This movie is based on the 1971 book, The Little Broomstick by Mary Stewart. And this was Studio Ponoc's first feature film. A little background on Studio Ponoc. On August 3rd, 2014, it was announced that Studio Ghibli, who you might have heard of, would take a brief pause to reevaluate and restructure in the wake of uh, Hayao Miyazaki's retirement. Lead producer Yoshiaki Nishimura, among several other staffers from Ghibli, such as director Hiromasa Yonobayashi, left to found Studio Ponoc in, in April 2015. So basically, this is a studio founded by Studio Ghibli alums who wanted to start doing their own thing uh, since it was unclear what the future of Studio Ghibli was without Miyazaki. And yeah, I think the vibe of this film definitely feels like something that Studio Ghibli would put out. I, I could see this being... A classic for someone who saw it as a kid in the way that something like uh, Kiki's Delivery Service would be for someone who saw that as a kid, you know? Um, it, it definitely has some of those qualities, even if for me personally, it's not quite on the level of something like that. It's still it's still really cute. Um, and it has a lot of those sensibilities of the, the gorgeous animation and, um, you know, a, a strong female character in the lead and, and just fun magic stuff um yeah yeah uh, not to to knock it or anything the the pacing felt kind of off i think i i don't know like you can compare it to a ghibli movie and i think if you do directly maybe spirited away might be one of the closer ones in terms of you know action and and like the the shape of the story i guess but like to me it would feel a bit lacking when compared now this is a, this is a really good film i i do enjoy it but it, it doesn't hit me like a ghibli movie does if that makes sense yeah i would say it doesn't quite have the emotional depth of a lot of them and, um, and it might be because it's based on a different story perhaps but uh howl's moving castle is also based on a story yeah so yeah but you know it's it's gorgeous a lot uh, of Studio Ghibli movies do, like, have a point where they make us cry, I think. And this doesn't really ever get anywhere close to that, which isn't, again, a negative. It's just kind of not quite operating on the same emotional wavelength as a lot of Ghibli films. Yeah, and I well, and speaking to that, I want to say I don't feel like they they established a real tight bond or depth between... Even between Mary and Aunt Charlotte, some of that towards the end. Um, but I think that again, there wasn't just a super tight bond there. There wasn't a big tight bond between Mary and, and Peter. To me, the, the closest bond was between Mary and Tib, really. Uh, and, you know, and secondly, and maybe Mary, and then I was going to say, and then secondly, maybe between Mary and the broomstick. So in that sense, like, okay, unlike, for example, with um, Miyazaki, the the one with the sister, oh, what, what, what am I trying to say? Totoro. Uh, Totoro. Um, like, you know, the, the, the relationship between the sisters and then the peril the little sister is in and all of that that just tugs at your heartstrings. And even 
the young man that, that comes to help whatever with one of the, the sisters and is helping look for the little sister and all that. Um, so, so in that sense, when you don't have, I don't know, like a relation, like human relationship, really tight bonds. I don't know. Um, it just doesn't make you feel quite as deeply. And it has admittedly been a, a while since I uh, watched it. But I, I feel like I could maybe relate it somewhat to Castle in the Sky, which I recall enjoying quite a bit, but I don't recall really tugging at me very hard emotionally or me like really caring deeply about the characters uh, so much as just kind of enjoying the adventure. I would kind of put it more in that sphere. Yeah, and I would which agree is with a, that. Which is a high sphere to be in. I, again, yes. I don't want it to sound like we're overly negative here. Because it's a very cute, very enjoyable movie. And I loved it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, let's talk some about the story and characters and all that. So you you kind of uh, miss the, the... It actually intros with uh, a scene, an action scene. Yes. Uh, of uh, a redhead a redheaded child uh, running away with something. And it's very uh, visually impactful. Yeah. Very uh, dynamic and yes. chaotic. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you kind of start with a bang, uh, but then it kind of shifts back into a more uh, naturalistic sort of setting. With Yeah. It, it's after that, it's very slow for, for quite a bit. Yeah, and so I think maybe that is one of the, the pacing things. I think I think one thing I might criticize also is that there's not a lot of characters in here, but I ultimately am not sure I understand the value of Zebedee as a character, the gardener guy. Yeah. Like, he's nice, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't ultimately feel like he imparts any really valuable life lessons or does anything important for the plot to make it worthwhile having gotten to know him. Right. It feels like time that could have either been spent getting to know Aunt Charlotte more or Peter, who both are more principal characters. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't mind the lady, I forget her name, but the other lady who lives with Aunt Charlotte because she immediately feels like more of a, a kind of peripheral character and that's fine. Like, I don't feel like I need to get to know her as intimately, but we spend like a, a, a little bit of a chunky scene getting to know the gardener, but he doesn't ultimately really do anything. Um, yeah. I just felt like time that probably could have been better spent on one of the other main characters. Correct. And I would have liked to see more time between, you know, in a bond building between Mary and Aunt Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah, you get some commentary from the aunt about Mary, just like Mary and the uh, her maid or whoever Miss Banks kind of commented. So we get an intro about Mary, all of her interactions. She's kind of clumsy, very energetic, her clumsiness very is eager. legendary, just really over the top at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, and um, so so I think Miss Banks seemed a bit like exasperated, uh, but her aunt was like, "No, like I love that about her." Yeah. So you get some commentary there, but but yeah, minimal interaction. You don't get to see, yeah, exactly. The interaction between them is there's not a lot. Yeah, and I guess I don't recall how Mary feels about her aunt. I guess she seems sort of tentative, but but I don't I don't really remember. Yeah, and that might be indicative of of them just not spending enough time to really illustrate that. Yeah, 
Mary's very cute, though. Um, like when we first meet her, she's adorable. Um, she's very clumsy. Uh, I loved the dog Confucius. Um, didn't end up being in the movie <laughs> yeah. very much, but what a wonderful name and what a silly little dog. Yes. She wants it to go with her and like, well, she picks it up. She's loving on it. And then she wants it to go with her into the garden and stuff. And, and it, it's just yawns and will have nothing, you know, doesn't want any part of it. Yeah. yeah. And she's just kind of like, okay. Uh, but yeah, what I absolutely love about Mary from the get go is she's earnestly trying to be helpful. She is so enthusiastic and genuine about wanting to be a help. And yeah, so she's just trying. She's just trying. Um, Gibbon, Tib, perfect cats, love them. Yes. Um, I love that Mary finds a broomstick stuck, stuck like beneath foliage that's like grown over it and just decides to take it without a second thought. It's kind of her first example of her just deciding to take things that aren't hers. <laughs> just deciding to lay hands on things that objectively don't belong to her. I this one's, this one's more, <laughs> this one's more understandable, but I'm just saying it does, it does, does, it does kind of lead into when she does it with a thing that is objectively not abandoned and is not hers. <laughs> so. Well, and that wasn't, though, an accident. That was because. It, was a, it wasn't an accident when she reached into the door she opened and took the thing out. Well, no, she was curious to look at it, but then right. she didn't know it was going to close I'm just saying up. there's a difference between being curious to look at a thing and being curious to touch a thing and well, pick up a thing I can see and that, open that. a thing. That is not yours, which she knew, too, because as soon as Madame Mumblechew started walking up the stairs, she was like, oh, I shouldn't be seen holding this. So, like, she knows that she shouldn't have been. There's not, like, a question of if that was good of her or not. Things started opening up for her. Whatever. You guys are trying to make too many excuses for her. We're talking about a scene later in the movie where, um, after being kind of shown around this magical school or whatever, um, uh, she's in the little kind of hut or whatever that Madame Mumblechook is in, and she, the madam is, like, looking for, um, enrollment papers, and it's like, oh, you just go upstairs and, and... you can she chill. You can chill around. there. You can, say look you can look around upstairs are... while I'm finding this. But you can't say that to a kid and not expect for them to want to experience. It's kind of like going to a petting zoo or going into a like a museum. I'm just saying that Mary <laughs> Mary tried to hide it so she knew what she was doing wasn't good. Well, well I think it was more well, she doesn't. Well, she went. She tried to put it back. I think she just didn't want to get in. If trouble. she had put it back, would she have been like, "Oh, hey, I looked at your book." Why? If she she knew she, why, she, she knew she shouldn't have picked up the I book. I don't agree. <laughs> I think she was within her What realm. is the disconnect? Like, I'm right. <laughs> no, I mean, to me, I look at it like if you're in a library and someone says, go wait up here in this library. You're not supposed to look at the books. They're saying, go look up in this magical space. You're not supposed to look she at the She didn't look at items. a book. She looked at a picture on the wall and then touched it and it opened up and there was a book that was bound. I know. Why on a, like a pedestal because it opened it was a magic opening door she accidentally opened her. the magic door <laughs> it was inviting and her. then was like oh i want to touch this book too because i think it lit up for her when she like when she was like what is that it's- but when when the madam came upstairs she wasn't like oh sorry I, I touched this and your book was there and now i can't put it back she knew she shouldn't have picked up the book so she tried to hide it I still think I I'm right. Her. Now, I'm not saying you aren't right, but I'm saying is she's already worried that 
she is going to be transformed, that she doesn't belong in this place. You're right. So She's I don't bad on more levels than just... Stop. I'm just kidding. I think she doesn't want to get in trouble <laughs> with this lady. No, she... It's fine. I think her instinct is, I don't know, if I do something this lady doesn't like. I mean, ultimately, uh, as we'll talk more about, uh, the madam and doctor... The madam and doctor are not doing good things anyways, so, you her know. Her instincts were right. <laughs> uh, the... I'm never going to personally be able to get over the fact that the school is called Endor, and I don't feel like I need to elaborate. It's the forest moon of Endor that the Ewoks live on. I didn't think about that Ooh. at all. How? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I that's a good that's thing or a bad thing? In the book. Oh, probably. I don't believe. I don't personally believe the word Endor can only ever apply to a forest moon in Star Wars. That's just what I associate it with personally. Mm. So um, okay. that's Wait. where I'm personally stuck. The tour of the school was very fun, uh, just weird and colorful and delightful. Um, it made me want to see a movie actually set in that school, but that is not what this movie is. And I know I've seen reviews complain about that, too, but it's like, I mean, at the point where you're complaining about wishing a movie was a completely different movie, you're not really talking about the movie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's it's like, yeah, that would be cool, but that is ultimately not what this movie's about. So I will say the scene though when she goes up and no one's there and because they're all invisible and they all have those that creepy, creepy masks and keep the creepy masks on, that I wasn't about because yes. it made him look like a cult or something. Yeah, yeah. And it was very almost these masks you all that looks like uh, you know, Freddy or whatever, the the white with yeah, just white the mask. eyes and uh, it well, was, I don't yeah. even think there was even eyes. There were lots of different runes on, like it felt like a character. It, it looked that. almost like a Rorschach test, sort of like blobby, just yeah. And it yeah. would vary between person to person. Yeah, yeah. And again, just all of them kept that on. That was a bit creepy. And then immediately after that, when they when they leave and like the doctor like goes into the this big magic door that that his weird automaton things are dragging some caged animals into. Like there starts to be some vibes of like, something feels a little sus in here. Yeah. 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 And by the way, I know we just kind of jumped this way, but when Mary goes exploring, she has a week before school and she's, and, and there's this misty day that she keeps going. Part of it was because she was having an argument with Peter sure. and kind of wanted to get away from him. But she also is following the cat, Tib, which she does yes. a lot. She's following Tib into the woods. And when she finds the broom, she ultimately is holding on to it and it takes off with her and Tib. Tib grabs, grabs it too. And that's what brings her to the school. Uh, and also one thing we missed is she... I don't know if it was then or she went to the forest before. And yes. the kind of important thing is she found a blue flower. Mm. Oh, yes. The flower's yes. a little bit. <laughs> yes. That's what enabled her to. Yeah. So uh, she found the blue flower. She picked it and she left. And we see that like magic stuff happens. Yeah. And like a storm be... kind of thing. Right. Uh, I or, guess or, storm... or just I guess the mist. Is, but the mist is like surrounding the cats, which is important. Yeah. And yeah, it seems to be related to the scene in the very beginning of the film. But but yeah, she like I forget. I guess she picks a part of it, but like goo stuff gets on her. Yeah, they they almost look like little berries. Yeah, and and when they squash, it's like the squishy blue goo. And so uh, eventually, we figure out this seems to maybe have imbued her with some sort of magical ability. Yeah, yeah, which is why she can do th these things. Yes. Can we talk about? 
how actually she is quite fallible, though, because she sure decides to f*** over a boy that she barely knows, like, when there's any sign of stuff being pinned on her. Well, I mean, yeah, through through the whole thing. So, and this maybe this is one thing with the, um, you know, what was the film trying to do situation. So she's very clumsy. Uh, she's, I think she's used to hearing... Uh, negative things about herself. Definitely. It feels um, like it. So whenever she gets to the school and she's able to uh, ride the broom and they're like, oh, you don't need to go to this beginning class because you're obviously pretty adept at this. And actually red hair is a sign of a powerful wit. Yeah. And like, oh, look at your black cat familiar. Like that's the best kind. And then they take her to the class and she's like, oh, she's past doing invisibility. She's doing something better. So she's being very flattered and feeling like this is a place where she belongs. But then also kind of getting the the second message of like trespassers will be transformed. And like you do, you know, you're not a trespasser, are you? So, yeah, like there's the I'm doing really good or that they at least they think I am. I don't know if I deserve this, but if I do anything bad, like that undermines all this other stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, so there, there's that kind of part of her aspect in the story, and and I guess for the full story, like what is the message that it's trying to tell you through I, her? I'm not sure. Yeah, like it does feel like one of the more confusing aspects of the movie i guess yeah i think a, a bit of the weaker parts and we i think we'll talk about it more at the end because definitely some, there's a couple of lines that seem to hint at it yeah yeah we definitely have to talk at the end to really fully talk about like what does this movie feel about magic and and what does it say and what does it mean yeah it's yeah, yeah. and the part that she betrays peter is that there was a note that her um, great aunt Charlotte had given her to to make a delivery to Peter, and it was you know um, folded up into a little square. And when she was nervous because she had taken this book, there was a picture of the flower that she looked at, and then it opened up, and there was a book inside that she was curious. And then when the madam came up, she she was trying to put it back, but she couldn't. So then she didn't want to be discovered with it. And so when the madam was like, what's behind your back? What's behind your back? She's able to slip it into her purse, but she takes the piece of paper instead and she offers up the piece of paper, which was a note from her great aunt Charlotte to deliver something to Peter. So Peter's name on there is on there and the madam can use magic to discern where it was. So yeah. And it, that was comboed with the fact that she mentions the flower later. Yeah. A little bit later. No, I think. With the letter. Because mm. she's getting interrogated about this flower. Where is it? She's like, mm. she. I think she also kind of mentions like, I'm not powerful. The flower did this. Yes. Oh, got it. So this this kid, Peter, he's more powerful. Exactly. That's he the, has the flower. That's what I'm talking about is that she says Peter is the one. Like she names him specifically. And then the letter has his address. Right. Uh. So so yes, she, she throws him under the bus. And so then inevitably, when not that long later, the madam's like, hey, took your boy, bring me the flower. She's like, 
oh, this is my fault. I need to fix this. And it's like, yes, it is your fault. Yes. And then this, you know, shifts the story into more of a rescue, I yeah, guess. adventure sort of thing yeah. rather than this magical school right. teaser. It, it, the, the magical school, when we initially kind of get the tour of it, feels really big and grand and like there's a bunch of people in it. But pretty much after that... It's basically just the madam and doctor that we ever see as far as, like, people in that building. Yeah, agreed. It was it was unclear. Like, she went back home, and they're like, come tomorrow with the thing signed. But I guess that means that everybody goes home. I, yeah, it's yeah. unclear. Yeah. Yeah, because especially the broom guy kept saying, you kids leaving your brooms. And there were a lot of oh, brooms. Oh, yes, we should mention. That's a really good point. Uh, yeah. What was his name? Flanagan? Flanagan, Flanagan yeah. Why did I have a And there were a lot of brooms when she initially got there and crashed, so I think that they could all be brooms for the kids. Yeah, I guess they all stay home and don't live on campus or anything. Because, yeah, I mean, I guess the plot goes pretty quickly after she goes home and it all, like, happens that night. So I guess there's it does make some degree of sense that we don't really see people after that. Yeah, but it it is a bit jarring like yeah yeah, it is a little bit it's another kind of thread that keeps um getting pulled in and comes back together is when she this first day that she comes to the school with with tib um when the when dr d is am i saying that right dr d goes off into his lab Tib doesn't want to leave initially and keeps trying to go to that lab. And what you find out is, of course, not only does then the madam take Peter as hostage, but but Tib's girlfriend, the gray cat, Gib, has been taken. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, it becomes a rescue mission to try to save all of them and, you know, to save um, both Gib and Peter. Anything else with story characters? Just other than we want to make clear, too, is that Mary doesn't seem to have, she's not, she's not, she doesn't have any natural power. She is not, she's not a born witch. And all of her power comes from this flower she found. And so that limits how much power she has to fly the broom, um, how much power she has to do, to do anything else. So in that sense, it puts kind of it puts the movie under a time constraint yeah uh because again she will run out of power yes um and so forth no that is really important let's talk some about animation i think the most impressive part of this movie is is almost without a doubt the animation the animation is gorgeous yes um there's i i don't know if there's anything negative i could possibly say about it it's beautiful I, the, the backgrounds, um, the actual character animation, and then especially I, I love when the animation gets really kind of frenetic, like with, uh, magic spells or the animals, uh, breaking down the door later in the movie. There's just these moments where it's just, it's kind of going wild and really fluid. And like, uh, sometimes the character models like shift, like aren't as as rigidly keeping to them in in a moment or whatever. Um, It's just, it's really dynamic and beautiful and lovely to look at. All of the places like feel just beautifully crafted um, towards the, I don't know, like two thirds or three fourths of the way through or whatever. um, After Mary escapes um, after initially trying to rescue Peter and Gib and failing, but also rescuing a whole bunch of animals. Uh, the broom ends up flying her, taking her, quote, home, because, but to 
a home that the broom knows and that house that it takes um, her to mom immediately was just like, I, I want to live there. Um, and yeah, it. just the sense of place and, and, and the, the beautiful feeling of these places that this movie is able to create is impressive. Yeah. And, and there are so many beautiful, even like forest and trees, yes. these huge trees and moss covered trees. And, and the way the, the, not only the animation, but the camera pans and the angles and the sweeping feeling. And then even like, um, the broom zooming down towards something like a, like down a tree or across a, across the, the forest floor or something. It's just spectacular. It is just amazing. Yeah. The, there's lots of, uh, creature designs too. Um, not just the animals that Danica alluded to, but, uh, part of the, the uh, strength of this particular skull is transformation. So uh, this uh, scientist professor magician doctor. guy. Dr. D. Yes. He, he, he's he got a doctorate. <laughs> sure. <laughs> he he transforms these animals into other Weird things. creatures. So we have a, a scene with just all of these creatures in cages. And even at the beginning of the film, there's these like water looking eel dragonfly things that can be really fluid in terms of what they do like magic feels really squishy um Mm -hmm. it's just yes like so such fun feelings that they give you with uh their choices in in how these things look it's really cool yeah yeah and even one of the madam her spells which I think is also the thing that makes those kind of squishy flying things. Yeah, yes. we but, see her make them later. But in the it, film. it it almost comes out, flies out like a mixture between like mud and water. But it can almost then morph into this huge hand or something that can grab. Yeah. So mm. it, it it like like Valerie said, it's so it's so fluid. But it's, I mean, even when we first meet her, we meet her as water. Like that's the true. the the fountain like rises up, and it's like this watery form of her that's like shimmering and and slurping around like it's just it's this fluid water moving but in her shape it's it's very impressive to look at and just fun to look at Ooh, and then she sent after mary um it looked like like as opposed to a paper crane like a little uh, you know paper it felt like a moth to me oh, okay like a moth and then it follows them home and tib was not happy with it but then she she turned into her water fluid form yeah and basically of course threatened that's what yes. she's like hey, like bring the flower or you know peter will be transformed type thing yeah but it feels like it's most most magic right not just hers because when the uh witch's flower is kind of activated it's like gummy squishy to her hands uh, Dr. D's cages and barriers, those are all like bouncy, squishy. Like if you try to move into it, you get, it, it gives, but you can't get through. And yeah, so it feels like magic itself is, is very squishy. Yeah. It's very, it's a very fun visual interpretation of magic. What do you think would be different about this movie if it were in live action? What, what would you need to do to make that? work in that medium well just having spent a long time talking about how squishy visually magic was made i think you would lose that so in that sense i think it would have to be a completely different interpretation because i just don't 
feel like this the kind of squishy feeling for lack of a better word of of the feel that they did that visually with the animation that you would you would have that in live a- in live action I think you could do it I just think it would feel more childlike than it does here sure yeah like for whatever reason it makes me think of like spy kids or something sure i don't know it would feel maybe more comedic or or because because a lot of times the the weaker parts of live action movies where you're working with stuff in cg is the interaction between the cg thing and the real person and how real that feels and I think that leaves a lot of room for error uh, and hokiness if you're trying to push through or if you're bouncing off of something like that. Yeah. The uh, creature designs also could have veer more, walking a fine line between weird and gross or goofy and, yeah, just kind of goofy. Yeah. uh, For the transformed creatures. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the the magic stuff and like some of the the wacky kind of mechanical stuff that Doctor D uses needs would need to kind of be toned down, I guess, to an extent. Not not as like squishy and and wacky, unless you just went full CG with it with all of it. But then it will feel really kind of disconnected. It would be, yeah, I think what you said, a balancing act uh, of how to kind of make that work. But what would be really cool is seeing uh, the manor and stuff. So, like, the Red red Manor where she lives is just a very kind of traditional house. You could have some really fantastic set design with, like, all these locations. Gorgeous gardens, like, that stuff could be really nice in in live action yeah the manor the forest the school uh the the little house on the island yeah the house on the island probably would have been so cute like if you if you spent some decent money on like making these sets because there's not that many of them they could be really neat if you did it with the quality of hook Mm. you know how they did those, um, you would you would need to have at least that quality. Otherwise, I mean, it would be nice, like to be able to see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, being not fully fantastical, I think there are pros and like things that can be like really more easily translated, but there are definitely some pitfalls that you'd have to watch out for. Yeah, I think it would overall probably be a, a bit less kinetic. In, in some parts and need to to focus more on the character interactions and stuff and yeah. and um action scenes that can be acted out rather than like a lot of a lot of how the action scenes are in this would probably be altered at least a bit to somewhat minimize use of effects you know to to where there's more of them running and, and and jumping and doing stuff like that, that a real person can do and then fill in around it. Yeah, it, it would be interesting. Um, I think definitely the medium of animation was the right choice for this, given how fantastical it goes. But it's not something that just absolutely couldn't work in live action. And it could certainly be an interesting interpretation of its own. 
let's talk some about sound design. Uh, the composer for this movie was Takatsugu Muramatsu, and he did a great job. Uh, the music in this movie I really like. Swells at the right moments, makes me feel emotional. It has some really nice, like, um, I don't know some of the main instruments that he's using, but they have kind of that... It's not quite a piano, but it's not quite a harpsichord. Um, but it, ha- it, it it tings nicely in my brain, and I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it there's, it's, it's, I like the vibe overall of, of the music that he went. It's not... There's definitely some orchestral qualities to it, but it's not like just a full, like John Williams kind of orchestra orchestration. Um, it feels kind of more mystical and um, just appropriate for what this is. It's it's really neat. I like it. I really liked, and we haven't talked about these guys, but um, Doctor D has like these mm. magic automaton looking things that have a really cool design. They're really weird. They are. And the the sounds that play whenever they're around is like magic mechanical. It's very cool. Yeah. Yes. Their their noise, whatever it is, nice. I love it. Yeah. Really, really good sound design with those. Uh and also like the foley in general is really nice. Uh there's lots of um walking through like forests and stuff like that. And, like, the the footfalls on the forest, like, the cat falling, like, jumping in the forest has, like, a nice light, light pat versus her footsteps. And she, like, climbs over a stump or something and you hear, like, a good crunch and, like, uh, of, of stuff moving around. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It was it was really nice. Definitely. Uh, and and how did you all feel about the uh, theme song that played at the end, Rain, performed by Sekai no Owari? I thought it was pretty. Yeah, it was fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, not like one of my new favorite songs, but very nice and, and a nice kind of, um, without talking about what it is, it has a nice kind of little montage at the end, uh, kind of giving a post, what happens post the climax of the story while, while this music's playing. And then once the actual like kind of story portion of that is done, it's then just showing some of these gorgeous backgrounds as the song's playing and credits are, are on the screen. Very nice. Yes. The, the sort of uh, song and ending visuals that make you want to watch through them. <laughs> Let's go on to the part that our podcast is named after. How's it hold up? Pretty well, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not that old. This is from 20, like 2017. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Does anything occur to, to y'all? Uh, it's a little like it's a little unclear when this takes place. Video games are mentioned early on, but she's not really ever in an environment that like shows off any particular technology. So yeah, their if video TV is if video games exist, and presumably she would only logically be talking about home consoles, then like late eighties until now is it's somewhere in there. <laughs> yeah, the TV that is at the manor is a CRT. Yeah. But it is broken and doesn't turn on. Right. It's not even just a CRT. It's one of those that's kind of like it's the CRT where the screen is set into like this big, like almost cabinet looking thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah with, no- with uh knobs as opposed to like buttons. But then she's her 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 great aunt's old uh, so and it's even insinuated that they barely even use the tv because the um 
uh, Miss Banks didn't even realize that the TV wasn't working, which insinuates they haven't tried to use it in a while. Um, so, so yeah, it's a little unclear of where it's set, uh, but I think that works in its favor. Like, there's not anything that really dates it, honestly, beyond the mention of video games. Like, okay, video games exist and could be played at home, so... Yeah, it's like, in the home, home console era. <laughs> yeah, there's not really any cars. The kids mm-hmm. ride bikes. Like, yeah, it's very neutral time wise. Yes, uh, but but otherwise, yeah, I, I think it. <laughs> I don't see many issues with it. Mm. Yeah, no, not really. Then let's go on to our spoiler alert. Skip to one hour, one minute, and twenty four seconds. Toward, towards the end, okay, so so we find out that the uh, red-haired witch from the beginning and, and that kind of action scene took place a while ago because that is Great Aunt Charlotte when she was younger and she stole the flower thing that uh, Madam and Doctor were using in experiments that were not working out and was... Causing damage and yeah. hurting people. Yeah, and putting actually the children in danger. Yes, yes. Human experiments. Humans, exactly, yes. exactly. And and so Mary and Aunt Charlotte are able to kind of talk through the magic mirror in what we find out is Great Aunt Charlotte's old home, um, which is where the the broom because the broom used to belong to her took took them. Um, and then Madame shows up again, and so Mary has to try to to run away. Um, and at one point. Uh, when she gets up into the sky and is, uh, there's a, a part where Madame Mumblechook like pops up next to her in the yeah. sky and it made mom like gasp yes. in real life. <laughs> it was too close for comfort. Yeah. <laughs> um, Madame ends up like stealing her bag and getting the, the um, blue flower stuff. Um, and so Mary kind of like crashes and then needs to... Um, get from where she is in kind of a forest area up this long kind of open area to where the experimentation stuff is happening to save Peter. Um, And so there's this scene where she's trying to run across there and ends up being aided by all the animals that she helped set free and stuff. And I really liked the music in that part. It was really, Mm -hmm. it was really working for me there. A lot of that, that beautiful instrumentation that I don't know what instrument it is that was being played, but I loved it. That part was really cool. And also just like a, a cool like, oh, this this thing she did of helping these animals came back and helped her. Like, that's that's nice. Mm-hmm. The uh, experiment gets farther than she would like before she's able to rescue him. And he, for a while, is just stuck in this big blue goop thing that for a little bit had this smiley face. Love, yeah. Loved that for it. <laughs> yeah, that one... <laughs> It, it kind of reminded me of, uh, is it called ferrofluid or something? Like, I don't know. It it spiked in a really cool way. Yeah, yeah. It, its whole movement and design was, was really interesting. Yeah, like, really unnatural and weird, but, like, enjoyable to watch. I find, I guess, I don't fully understand Madame and Doctor's whole deal. Because, like, earlier on, Madame calls Mary an imposter witch. And yet, it seems like what her and the doctor's actual goal is, is to make everyone a witch. Yes. And so, like, that elitism seems at odds with her goal. And I don't really understand 
her deal there yeah, for that's true. <laughs> like yeah, that's like true. yeah it's, because it's, she's like criticizing mary for using the flower for magic but it's the flower that, that they want to the, use to imbue magic in everyone yes so like yes so like what's the truth yeah <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah. yeah it 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 feels a bit muddled and like maybe that needed to be thought through by the writers a little bit more cuz cuz it mm-hmm. does it doesn't feel like that connects well um uh yeah like it's she can be elitist and she can also want to make the whole world magical so that when everyone's magical no one is <laughs> but yeah, like is that their goal i don't know no yeah. i'm no I, yeah, i'm just quoting incredibles incredible. um oh yeah that's right but those two things don't really match up you know yeah yeah because they said they said a couple of things they said that they want either the students or people to, like, if you do this thing, the goal is to be able to practice all types of magic. Not a clear explanation of what all types are. They talk about there's this transformation and that's what we're good at. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but no, like, breakdown of this is everything. And which then, is fine, yeah. but but still, like, it's... It, it, Lacks clarity. And then for a while, it felt like, like, I think what it felt like what Aunt, uh, Great Aunt Charlotte and stuff was saying was that their goal was to make magic students more powerful. Yeah. And able to do more. But then the goal that Madame states, like, at the very end is that they want to make everyone magical and that doesn't seem to track. I think if it did if it had just stayed they want to make already magical students even more magical. I think that could track with the elitism. Could be like a it's not okay if you who doesn't have any magic gains it through this means but the hypocrisy of, but it is okay if we use that to make our already magical selves more powerful, but that's not what it is. <laughs> so it, yeah, it, it feels weird. The other thing is I want to say a lot of Madame, her motivation or, or her verbiage is like, you know, I'm not gonna let anything stop this experiment. But then she also was one of the ones when things started going awry, she wanted to use the magic spell to dis- to dispel all magic, even though uh, Dr. D was like, no, then you're going to undo all the, the progress we've made, but she still was going to do it. But it, but the, the magic, the, the blue goo that, that Peter was in disabled her, did, you know, and and prevented her from doing that. And then it was also interesting, I don't know if we pointed out, that they had Mary be the little protagonist. Um, and, and interestingly, you know, Mary, little female, is the protagonist. Uh, Tib, the male cat, is also another little protagonist. And then they damsel Peter, uh, the boy, and then they damsel, um, the female cat. So that was kind of, that was kind of interesting. Yeah. So, so it's, it's a constant, uh, Tib and Mary trying to rescue Gib and Peter. I, th- I think, Ultimately, what's a lot of the problems with the plot kind of comes down to for me is that magic isn't defined enough here, um, which can work. Like, I'm fine with magic systems that are less defined, but this one, I think, needed to be more defined to make it more clear why what they were doing was bad or, like, what exactly they were trying to accomplish. And I think one of the biggest 
things that are indicative of this is the the book that Mary takes that's like the master spells or whatever. What is that? Like why what is that book? Why does it exist and why can they only do seemingly only do certain spells by ju- by using the book? You know, like what is the goal then that if you infuse people with this berry stuff, they can just do all the spells in that book without needing it. That doesn't seem to track because in the finale, Peter stuck in the goop has to reach out and put his hand into the book to use the spell to undo everything. So like, I don't, I don't understand it's like how magic works well enough to really understand why what's happening is happening or why the villains are making the choices they're making. And Mary was able to put her hand in the book and, and ignite it. Right. Um, you know, earlier, uh, but that's when she still was infused with, with the with the flower. Right. But it's like but it's it's like obviously Madame thinks that this book is valuable and it seems like she couldn't necessarily do the things in the book without using the book. But like who yeah. ma- who made this book and why is it able to do things other people can't and what if Peter still can't do the things in the book without using it, what power is he supposed to be infused with? Like, what is it? What does making him have magic power mean in that context? Is it just that he can use the book now when he previously couldn't because he wasn't magical? I don't know. Yeah, because it's almost like, okay, this book here, this master book, could any magical person then, like any of the other students, could they just lay their hand in the book and activate a spell? It I don't know. It seems like ostensibly, but I don't know because then there's a lot of talk about how skilled she seems to be. Right, yeah. So it's it's just really muddled which wouldn't be as much of a problem if so much of the plot didn't hinge on some of these details. Yeah, that was a really good point about her using the book previously. It is unclear about how easy or hard it is to use the book. Exactly. Uh, so like, I don't think we even actually see, Ma- does Madame ever even use it when mm-mm. she gets it back? No, only when she tried to use it and w- then was stopped from using it. Right. Uh, yeah, that's a really good point. The, the other thing that I don't feel like they clearly established is, you know, one of the big motivations for Mary to keep going, even though she had had earlier in the movie betrayed Peter and didn't have that much of a connection with him, then I think one of them, it might have even been Peter that said the line that we're, we're all going to go back together, like we're, we're not going to leave anyone behind. Well, then that was their connective thread, you know, if why she's going back and she's fighting so hard and then, you know, it's kind of like, we're going to do this together and we're going to join hands. But they really hadn't established that connection and bond between especially between her and Peter as much to just to make that as effective that I think it could have been. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I I think that I think, I think my ultimate problem with this film just comes down to like thinking about it a little bit makes a lot of stuff really kind of unclear. And like, why are the things happening that are happening? I'm okay with like, the magic surrounding the broom being really squishy of like how much juice it needs and how much it's able to do stuff. Like it's fine. It's a cute little magic broom and it's trying real hard. And that's enough for me to be like, it's trying. And so it has enough magic to do this, you know, it's fine. But the stuff with the berries and the experiments and why the villains are doing the experiments 
that needs to make at least some amount of sense and it just kind of doesn't fully like it doesn't feel like it matches up um so yeah i think that's kind of my biggest problem i think uh one of the other things that i want to go back to is kind of what what the film was trying to say yes so you have mary kind of complaining and not appreciating her hair it's it's uh red and and fluffy or or frizzy i forget how she says it and so kind of the implication of of wanting to change it or like i didn't choose this so 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 there's that i guess kind of implication uh and then peter at some point talks about wanting to be older to be able to help his mom And, and so yeah i guess it's like these Places where these kids feel lacking, wanting to change. And then at the end of the film, there is one bulb of the flower left uh, that she she throws behind her because she doesn't need it anymore. But but I don't know if, if the throughout the film, it was kind of strong enough to support it. Or like, if, if, if that's kind of the thrust of the film of like appreciating yourself... I think that's what it was trying to say, but was the antagonist, usually that stuff is like supposed to be against what the film is trying to say, right? Like you're the, the theme of the film that's going to be weaved throughout the story. So that's probably what the, the antagonists are trying to disprove in your thesis, right? Uh, and, and, and I guess it kind of does. There is to some extent with like, they're trying to do experiments to, make people more powerful. So there's this sense of like who the people already are isn't enough. I guess. But like, yeah, that contradicts with where earlier she's like, oh, your hair is already so perfect and stuff. Like, and I guess some of that's for the, for the sake of a twist, but it's, it's still weird to like moralistically have the villain be on both sides of the argument at different times. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think that was one of the, the, the weaker things whenever you're hearing what feels like the point of the film in certain spots, but not feeling it throughout the, the story of the film, you know? Yeah. And there's, and there's like the part in the finale where, where Dr. D's like, no, you, you can't do anything against him. He's too magically powerful or whatever. And she's like, has a line that's something like, I don't need magic to do this. Even though objectively she still uses magic to solve this problem because it's a magical problem. And so it kind of just feels like what thematically does magic mean in this movie and what is it trying to say? And I'm not fully sure. Like there definitely seems to be some sort of message about loving yourself how you are, but it doesn't feel like everything connects to that cleanly. Are we clear on what repelled Peter in his in his monster blob form from her when she was up on there trying to get the flower? No. <laughs> See, because again, that didn't make it clear. Was did did she crack it and some of the flower thing come out? Did she herself repel it? Yeah, I feel like that it wasn't was, clear. I feel like it was Peter not wanting to hurt Mary. That makes the most sense to me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like he exerted enough control at that point to stop it. Because it is like soon after that where he's able to put his hand out and start emerging right, from it. Right, because so, then yeah. he tells her to run away. Yeah, he's like, yeah. get away, I can't stop this. Yeah, yeah. You know, forever. So I think that's what that was. Yeah, and, and asking this and kind of comparing it to other films we watched, I think, you know, some of the, I think that's where 
the Ghibli movie shine in, in parts is building towards this, the thrust of the film. Like, I think, I think, things, yeah, like supporting it. Throughout They're able the to film. be more thematically consistent. Yes. Like my neighbor Totoro, like has all the themes of childhood and like the wonders of the world around you and how that interacts with kind of this pain and grief that you're going through with your mother being sick. And like Kiki's delivery service has kind of like the, the depression analogy with, with her losing her powers and stuff like that. Like there are these themes that carry and can be applied and that make sense throughout. Yes. And it just doesn't feel like those themes are strong enough here to like make this movie have that thematic level that puts it into a higher here that it takes it from being just kind of a fun movie to watch to a movie that like is impactful is impactful yeah like it, it it just it can't quite get there because it's not solid enough on that footing which doesn't make it bad it, it just does it just doesn't let it get to that higher level you know yeah i think since it it looks so much like a ghibli film like the style you know them being from the ghibli studio the the seeds are obviously there, uh, so it's hard not to compare. Definitely, and I think I think that's why it feels like we're being so critical. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'd like to at least on my end. If you guys have something after this, feel free. But on my end, I'll gonna, I'm going to end on a, a happier note. Of Flanagan cares about one thing and one thing only, and that is brooms. And good for him. Yes, he wants children to take care of their brooms. Yep. And just a just a real quick wrap up. Spoilers is that you know in in crash landing she breaks the broom, but her tears seem to kind of heal it, not mend it, but but make it a little bit better. But I love how then when she is then trying on her own without any magic to get to Peter and the animals help her, she's she's running and carrying the broom. So not only does she have, you know, Tibbs, but she is running and holding on to that broom. She's not letting it go. Then it was a nice ending because once they all escape, they do all escape on the broom because he um what is the gentleman Flanagan brought back the broom that has been wrapped and like bandaged. And and then the little broom is able to take, He's you know. like, tells them off of, like, I told you not to just leave it anywhere. Yeah, and so, and then, yeah. And, and, and initially, I just want to say, Mary took the broom because when she was failing miserably at trying to be helpful, one of the things she had tried to do is help sweep. And the broom in her farm, you know, and in, in Aunt Charlotte, you know, their estate was way too big for her. So it was so cute. The ending, I like how that, that came back around. So the broom takes him safely back home, but where she places the broom, which also would go along with, um, Flanagan saying, take care of your broom, is she lines up the broom with the other brooms there. And that was, that's the broom's new home. But yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice wrap up. Yeah, I think, I guess the uh, book being, what, The Little Broomstick, I think they do a good job of, of weaving it through and, and Flanagan being a little bit of a deus ex, just like totally oblivious of what's happening around yeah. or not caring. Just like, yeah, I know that they do this weird stuff, but it's not, they're not transforming my broom, so. Yeah. That's whatever. the thing he cares broom about care, is brooms. Broom care is, you know, is yeah. ultimate. And they even, uh, Dr. D and Madam, uh. Yeah, there's something, something like, uh, like Flanagan, that guy never changes or something yeah. like yeah. that. Yeah, they both comment on him and. I'm just like he's just when like they're, that. When they're like going up the side of a building in his and and Doctor D's like spider robot thing, yes. he has some wacky fun inventions. Uh, yes, yeah. So I guess they're like 
he doesn't stop us and he kind of helps them only in the sense of re- when relating to broom so he's yeah. not <laughs> we're not gonna li- we're not gonna like hold it against yeah. him yeah <laughs> we it's like well it was a broom thing and that's his thing <laughs> Yeah, that's very silly. <laughs> very. No more spoilers. Let's go on to our favorites and least favorites. What was your least favorite scene in the movie? If it's in spoilers, be vague. I guess my least favorite, and not because I didn't enjoy it, is Mary meeting, um, what's his name? Peter. No. No. Zebedee. Yeah. Um, and I think that's ultimately just because, like I've talked about, it didn't feel like that character ultimately had a function. And beyond just kind of being another example of her exuberance leading to her messing up by by breaking the flower, it's it doesn't like we had enough examples of her doing similar things. We didn't need that. He didn't say anything that like imparted wisdom upon her that she carried with her throughout the movie or anything. And he doesn't like come back and prove to be crucial to the plot in any way. So that, that time spent ultimately felt wasted and like it should have been spent on one of the other principal characters and so I think for that reason, that's my least favorite because on a repeat, it's just, it just, if I watch this movie again, I'm going to be even more likely to remember, oh, this scene kind of is worthless. Like it doesn't do anything beyond just be kind of cute and nice and serene in the moment, you know? And not even that kind of, it is a piling on on Mary is what I would sure, say. Sure, sure. Because, you know, she's almost dropped a cup. She's almost dropped food or something like and then not long after that she sweeps and then she trips over and falls on a thing and a basket gets on her head so like yeah like right and maybe it is in a sense of another adult kind of being exasperated he says something like i should have known that dogs and children like can't be gardeners or something or shouldn't be gardeners but that doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, like like you said, he doesn't do anything that uh, wisdom, but also like that kind of not insult, maybe kind of that that also and, doesn't seem to fully stick with her. Like it's not repeated. Yeah. So and it's not like at the end of the movie, like he's like, "Oh, I was wrong about you." Like there's not a thing where it comes back in any meaningful it way. It does kind of come kind back. Of, yes, with at the very end, they show a flower with a bow that looks different. Like maybe Mary did that bow. Okay, as sure. well as then they she has her little broom right. lined up with the other brooms. Um, but that's really the only payoff. Yeah, which is. Yeah, a very visual, minimal payoff. Yeah. But but yeah, I'll I'll agree with you for the same reason. And I will too. And like I said for that reason because they didn't it, it, to me what would have made that that payoff is maybe showing her working side by side with him, you know, sure. or something. Yeah. What was your favorite scene in the movie? This is going to be hard for me cuz that's <laughs> there's a lot of of awesome a lot of, things a lot to of good stuff. From. I think for me, it's a part in spoilers where Mary is trying to do something difficult and ends up getting some help from uh, some stuff based on some of her actions earlier in the movie. I think that's enough to make sense to you, too. Yeah, yeah. I think. I yeah. Think. I think I'm going to say it's right before spoilers. I think I'm just going to have to say 
a house that Mary goes to. I won't say who it belongs to, but I just loved that whole scene from the time that she, that the broom took her to this house. Uh, the, um, the fire, like one little fire, um, uh, lighting up and, and then she's saying, so glad you're here. And then hopping to the other one and, and then the whole walkway being lit up and then the little broom going to its little place on the porch and then her walking into the house, just that whole feel of the house, the beautiful little architecture. It was almost like heart shaped, but not, not too cutesy. It was, it was a kind of a heart design with wood of, of the back door and then the dock going out to this little lake. It just the whole aesthetic and the, the whole feel of that scene. I just loved. Yeah. I mean, there were lots of cool, like character designs and things like that, but I don't know if they're part of my favorite scene. I think I'll go with the one Danica uh, alluded to. And I'll do a, a small call out to, I do also really enjoy the scene where uh, the madame is, is taking her through the school and we're seeing what this this cool magic school looks like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who was your least favorite character in the movie? I think maybe I'll just say the gardener, just because, again, they just didn't develop the connection and his relevance I th- enough. I think so. It just feels like a waste. It, it feels like he could have been something or could have not been there and other people could have been more yeah agreed who was your favorite character in the movie i'm gonna have to give it to mary i adore i adore tib and i adore the broom but little mary from the beginning she just had a little heart that just um and perseverance but just other than her her throwing peter under the bus you know (laughs) none of those are perfect yes (laughs) But um, just her wanting to to be helpful, and she is just a cutie patootie, so I'm going to say Mary. Yeah, I'll agree with Mary. Yeah, same. Uh, Definitely definitely shout out to Tib and the broom, because they're both also really delightful. But yeah, Mary's a great little protagonist. What character would Tim Curry have played if he were in the dub? I didn't check. I don't think he's in it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't. Th- I don't know if he was even doing voice acting anymore tw- by 2017. So, oh, that would be a good one, Flanagan. Flanagan and or Doctor or Doctor. I D. lean towards Doctor D, just you yeah. know, villain. Um, but he'd be he'd be good as Flanagan too. Let's go on to our overall consensus and what we would rate it. All right. Uh, yeah. Now we talked about this in spoilers. We hinted at it out. Hinted about it outside about the kind of weakness thematic weakness that the film had overall that I think kept it out of that that made it weaker in comparison to Ghibli movies that you know it's kind of hard not to compare it to but it was a beautiful movie uh the characters were interesting there were fun designs the music sound design was really good so I would recommend it overall as, you know, definitely watch once and you'll probably like it. And I will give it a four. Awesome. I I absolutely agree in that one. I absolutely recommend it. Just beautiful movie and just a fun, feel-good movie. You know, hey, we all need that right now. And I would definitely give it a four because it's not as high up there as a Totoro or anything because of the thematic weakness, but it's a beautiful, it's, it's beautiful. It is visually beautiful and stunning and in an enjoyable story, even though it has some weaknesses. Just, I really enjoyed it. I think I'll go 3.75. Yeah. 
I'm looking at, I'm like looking at, I gave Lou Over the Garden Wall 3.75. I gave Powerpuff Girls movie a four. I think 3.75 feels right to me. If it were more thematically consistent and strong, I think it might get to that four at least. Um, but it's not quite there. It's it's very it's very enjoyable to watch. Um, I can again easily see this being someone's comfort movie. Um, I like it a lot, and I was looking forward to watching it again. And I wouldn't mind watching it again in the future. So yeah, same with me. <laughs> Thank you all very much for listening. Yes, thank you. And please join me on any Wednesday at 7 p.m., uh, CDT or CST, depending on time of the year, for um, Nana Critter uh, on Twitch. I am streaming Witcher 3, and you will be able in the chat, uh, wonderful um, Danica and Valerie will be in the chat there with me and uh, help save me <laughs> if I burn in a burning building or get stuck. <laughs> I'll even get a phone call now. But but you will absolutely love the chat. And it's just fun. My first playthrough, back, back seating allowed. So please join me on Wednesdays on Twitch at NanaCritter, N-A-N-C-N-A-N-A-C-R-I-T-T-E-R, NanaCritter. And next time, we will be watching a movie where some bunny rabbits go on a little adventure. Like uh, viscerally fighting and making each other bleed in, oh, in no. ways that terrify children. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so join us bye. for that. Oh, no. <laughs> Until next time. Bye. 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 Love y'all. Bye. This has been How's It Hold Up with Danica Juarez and Jan James. You can find our podcast on Twitter at How's It Hold Up Pod. That's with each word capitalized and no apostrophe. Also, if you'd like to support us, we have a Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash user question mark U equals 2790566. Every little bit helps, and even with a minimum pledge, you get access to things you won't hear in our main podcast feed. Check it out for more info. The two pieces of music used in this episode were created by Kevin McLeod. You can find both The Curtain Rises and Cool Cats at incomptech.com. That's I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H.com. Both songs were licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. More info on that can be found at http colon slash slash creativecommons.org slash licenses slash by slash 3.0. Thanks for listening. Was your coughing volunteering or okay? <laughs> is is the moon Endor or is it? It's the, the forest moon of Endor. You're right. So the we don't ever, I think, actually know the name of the moon. But then everyone just kind of it's like a it's like a Frankenstein's monster thing. Everyone just calls it Endor. Anyways.